Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. This is a special episode of Housing Wire Daily about the Sitzer Burnett class action trial going on in Kansas City this week. And I'm talking to managing editor James Kleiman, who is attending that trial in person. I'll be checking in with him every day for a recap and to keep you up on any new developments. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, what is deed fraud? In today's landscape, scammers follow a series of steps, often by obtaining a list of properties without mortgages, and are frequently non-owner occupied from industry providers like Title Toolbox or Title 365. They then delve a little deeper, identifying properties with recently recorded grantor-grantee deeds where the notary stamp is still valid. They'll take the deed, they'll modify the deed in a electronic uh, format, something like Adobe Pro. They'll change the ownership details to their own. They'll add a fictitious escrow number. They'll modify the recording request to appear legitimate. And then they'll make slight alterations to the return address, making sure that that title company or the proposed uh, title company never sees a copy of it. They then carefully refine the copy to make sure that it resembles an original document. And then they simply submit it to an online service provider or they physically walk it into a county recorder's office. The next step is the scammer will visit a local bank with uh, lax security measures in place. They assume a false identity. They apply for a loan, patiently wait a three-day rescission period, deposit the money into an account that's often held for five to seven days. They'll withdraw it, and then they vanish without a trace. Ryan, thanks for letting us know about that. Listeners, you can find out more information about deed fraud and how to prevent it at equityprotect.com. James, welcome to the podcast. Hey, live from Kansas City. Live from Kansas City, um, covering the Fire Broker Commission lawsuits, right? The Sitzer Burnett. And you are in the courtroom all day. You're not allowed to have a um, recording device. You're not allowed to have your phone or your computer. So it's uh, it's old school journalism for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I probably haven't been fully without a phone or a computer since like sixth grade. <laughs> like a very, very long time ago. So it was a bit of an unusual experience for me and a little bit difficult. You know, often when we're reporting cases or, or just any general story, you have your tools, right? You're, you're accustomed to being able to Google anything that comes up. You're able to look through documents, you know, as, as they're discussed. But, um, in this setting, it's quite a bit different. You know, you're, you're sitting, in a bench, not a very comfortable bench, not not that anyone cares. And, and you really have to rely on just being able to absorb it as it comes and make sure that you're taking exceptional notes because it all comes really quickly. And, you know, it's very procedural. Anyone who's been in a, in a court case uh, like this knows that it, half of it is basically just process, right? Like I'm entering this into evidence or I want to strike the testimony of this or I object or, you know, it's not, it's not as neatly packaged as uh, they would allow you to believe in, you know, the, the production headquarters of law and order or 
you know, any other legal drama that people might watch. So yeah, it's a little bit tricky, but, you know, definitely a lot of stuff going on. It's been really busy. And so last week, a lot of it was really the plaintiffs establishing their case, which is, you know, these brokerages, these corporate defendants, uh, currently now a couple have settled, right? So we're down to Berkshire Hathaway Home Services and their affiliates, franchise-owned whatever, and then Keller Williams and their market centers. And then, of course, the NAR as well. And really, a lot of last week's testimony and and the pieces of evidence that were entered were about establishing that commissions are higher than really they should be, and that the various defendants have all, in their own way, worked together and individually to maintain these commissions at a pretty high rate, right? Globally speaking, what what they would believe is is a high rate. And there are a lot of other professions where the the advent of the internet and, and other economic forces have made commissions much lower. Look at stockbrokers, for example. But their contention really is that because of the NAR rules and the brokerages working in, in you know, in, in Gary Keller's words, uh, cooperation instead of competition, co- co-competition, competition, uh, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but, but essentially, you know, like we're, we're competing in some ways, but we're cooperating in others, that that is tantamount to a conspiracy. And that at the end of the day, it is the sellers who are effectively paying for the representation of what should be an adversarial relationship, right? They're paying for the buyer's representation and they don't believe that that is fair, that that is just, that, um, you know, the, the amount of money, um, that is proportionate to the sale of a home for the seller is appropriate. Right. And so that's really a lot of what the first week was establishing. And they just wrapped up the plaintiff's case today and they had a combination of of video-based depositions that were entered. They had some live testimony as well today. And, um, you know, again, it was really about the plaintiffs establishing that all the various parties have in their own best interests, a vested stake of making sure that commissions are at 5% or 6% or even higher. And that attempts to uh, lower them have been defeated in, in many situations. So in, in, uh, one discussion that came up today through testimony, uh, a gentleman who was a president of a local franchise for, uh, I believe it was BHHS essentially testified that there, there was, um, you know, a case in, in Iowa in which I guess it was a flat fee brokerage or whatever the model might be, but they, they basically said, we do not want to pay Daryl King, um, formerly, you know, a, an executive at Carol Williams. And, and he was talking about how, yes, there was this case in Iowa and the, um, you know, the brokerage Iowa Realty said, we're going to pay Keller Williams buy side agents $1 in compensation, which certainly, uh, according to the plaintiffs, was not something to the liking of the Keller Williams uh, affiliates in Iowa. And they wanted to put pressure on the uh, the brokerage from doing that. And they eventually filed a lawsuit to stop them from, from doing such. And Daryl King testified that he did not know the resolution to that suit. They also made mention through testimony that Gino Blafari, uh, the longtime CEO of 
Berkshire Hathaway Home Services and the various affiliates um, would sell agents during, uh, I, I guess you could call them trainings, that when he was an agent, he would say, yes, commissions are negotiable, but they start at 6% and they go up. They don't go down. They go up. And that agent should have the confidence to, you know, stand up for their, their, you know, their value proposition, right? And so a lot of it really was sort of this idea of other forces potentially trying to lower the commissions and the various entities that are defendants in these case, in this case, working to uh, stop that from happening. And, uh, you know, so that, that was one element that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, but another is the testimony of Bob Goldberg, who is the CEO of the National Association of Realtors. And, uh, you know, much of his testimony really centered around establishing what the NAR does and what it does not do for its members. And so, for example, the NAR offers training, education, perks like discounts on car rentals and, you know, other benefits that, that I think a lot of professional trade groups provide for their members. Um, but, but just as importantly, through his testimony, Goldberg was saying that it's really important to know that what the NAR does not do is it does not determine what commissions are. It does not provide guidance on what the commission should be, what the percentage is. It does not, you know, um, tolerate or accept or condone in any way, shape, or form any price fixing as it relates to the setting of commissions. It does have rules in place because it believes that compensating a buyer's agent for their expertise, for their time, um, is ultimately advantageous to the seller, right? Because in, in the marketplace that is now efficient, the seller, by offering their representative, the sell side agent, let's say 6%, right? And that agent then, through the NAR rules, um, to list it on the MLS, then compensating a buy side representative is opening it up to a much bigger pool of prospective buyers, right? Like that is the marketing component of it. It, it is that you are giving your agent every marketing tool and the best marketing tool is making sure that everybody knows that this listing is available and that you are willing to work with, uh, you know, the, the buyer and their agent to come up with a resolution, right? And so that was a major part of the testimony but Goldberg was very clear in his testimony that the NAR is not one responsible for commissions and, and you know, the rates. They are not responsible for members negotiating those commissions. That is entirely, uh, you know, the agent's responsibility and, um, you know, in, in their own interest to work with their client and, and reach a resolution. And, and I think just as importantly, the NAR in, in numerous places in its various guidance and documents governing the rules and the conduct through the, the code of ethics is very explicit in saying, we do not think any broker should be discussing commissions, you know, outside of their own relationship with their client. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think it was pretty strong testimony from the NAR. Now the def- the defendants, you know, have not had Bob Goldberg go through, uh, you know, cross-examination yet. Um, but, you know, certainly I, I think he was a, a pretty effective advocate for the, the, the message that the NAR is not responsible for agents setting commissions or enforcing them. 
This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, what should independent mortgage brokers be doing right now to prepare for when rates do eventually come down? It's a great time to think about such an exciting time ahead. A couple of things. One, focusing on scalability of their business, how to do loans more quickly and with even greater service. It's a great time right now to really focus on the experience with the borrower too and the referral partners, the realtors, the people that they work with today to get business, really uh, strengthen those relationships, but really a giant focus on how to give the borrower the best experience so that when rates fall, it's a no-brainer. Let's do this again. Let's get our rate lowered. And then thirdly, really just focusing on the business and building the business. So whether it's marketing strategies, how am I going to do things differently uh, when it's a refinance period? Um, How am I going to um, train better and quicker next time if they intend on growing and adding to their team? What are the things that I can do to make training more quickly and and easy in the future? So it's a really great time to think about such an exciting time, but really important to think about and take the time to think about what's ahead. All great points. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. So did the plaintiffs rest today? Did they make did they make their whole case and then um, everything's okay? Yes. And then you said uh, before we got on that there was a motion where basically the defendants were like, you know, they haven't made a compelling case. Uh, the judge should throw this out. That happened at the end of the day? Yeah. So it, it was entered. So essentially Berkshire Hathaway Home Services and their various affiliates, uh, they filed for summary judgment. Essentially, they told Judge Stephen Bowe that the plaintiffs have proven no conspiracy that BHHS and the various affiliates are keeping commissions high, and, and really you should be dismissing them from the case. So were the judge to grant it, that would leave the only remaining defendants as Keller Williams and then the National Association of Realtors. So we'll, we'll keep everybody updated uh, on that element in the coming days. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to happen. It it would seem unlikely to me, given how much testimony and, uh, you know, how much of this case remains to be heard. Um, but, you know, I, I am not a legal scholar. I have not studied the issue as long as uh, Judge Bo has. So I, I can only, you know, just surmise based on, uh, you know, the evidence that I have heard and have read so far in this case. So what uh, tomorrow, what what happens tomorrow? What are you expecting? So the big thing will be cross-examination of Bob Goldberg. You know, Bob Goldberg is uh, is really one of the key uh, members of the National Association of Realtors. He is not a realtor himself, um, but he is effectively the head of the organization. Uh, he has, what, 350, 400 or so staffers, and a lot of the responsibility of the NAR is to enforce the code of ethics. And through the code of ethics, the uh, participation rule, clear cooperation rule, right? These are the rules that are, that are effectively dictating that in the vast majority of transactions, residential real estate transactions in America, that there is some compensation from the seller that goes to the seller's agent and then to the buyer broker, right? And and that's really the heart of this case. And um, and so I, I imagine there's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be the whole day, but I, I think Bob is going, excuse me, Mr. Goldberg uh, is going to be in for a very long day of questioning, uh, especially when, when it comes to kind of, you know, his his claim that the organization itself is very hands-off 
about commissions themselves, and they merely have rules in place that the MLSs, which are independent, of course, I mean, I, I think the plaintiff would probably argue that they're not truly independent, that they are essentially functionaries of, of the NAR's rules. Nevertheless, you know, there, there's going to be quite a bit of questioning on what, what sort of role the NAR has in keeping these commissions high through the rulemaking process, right? That that is then enforced through the MLSs and the brokerages that are forcing their members, right? Their, their agents are, in many cases, uh, required to be members of their state, local, national association um, if they want access to the MLS. And there really is no real estate market for residential without the MLS, right? It is the linchpin for pretty much, what, nine out of 10 deals, maybe more in some states. So um, that's that's really... I think going to be very, very important testimony for the jury. And we, we had very, very long periods of, you know, moments where it was very clear. I think just looking at the members of the jury that they were quite bored and quite frustrated during certain elements of questioning, just like, okay, I, oh, I can't read this part on the screen or, oh, I don't see that rule. Oh, oh can you specify which section on the page is like, very long portions of testimony that was just like, you know, oh, I don't have that in front of me or, oh, are you sure? Oh, that's not my interpret, you know, just like filler in some, some respects. And I don't know, you know, if, if they extrapolate from that, you know, some, some larger message, but, but they, they definitely were not at the edge of their seat. You know, this was not like super compelling testimony for large portions of today. So I, I think tomorrow the, the plaintiff's attorney, Michael Ketchmark, and Bob Goldberg, the CEO of the NAR, is going to be, by the standards of, you know, class action lawsuits about pretty, um, you know, minute, difficult to parse uh, antitrust material, like, you know, blockbuster stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So I know that there has been some video testimony, but Bob Goldberg was there in person, correct? Yes, that's correct. Well, you know, it's just like you said, you haven't been without a phone since like the sixth grade. If you think about a jury, people on a jury, they haven't been without a phone since the sixth grade. And, you know, uh, like all of us, if they're used to those, you know, courtroom procedurals, like law and order or whatever, they're like, you know, I think it's just surprising anytime I've ever covered a trial, things are, most of it is very kind of boring. I mean, that's just the truth. You just have to get through a lot of stuff, but there are all these nuggets and um, it, I'm really glad you're there in person. Um, of course, we're going to be taking turns. So this time next week, I'll be there and you'll be interviewing me, but appreciate you sitting through it and and really, you know, finding the finding the diamonds in the rough here about like, here's, here's the thing we need to pay attention to. Um, and tomorrow will, I think tomorrow is going to be uh, much more interesting anytime you have a cross-examination. So Absolutely. Well, well, thanks for everybody <laughs> listening to this. And, uh, you know, if you're in Kansas City, you want to grab a, a drink or grab a, what is it? What is it called? Like gooey cake, I think it's called or something. I don't, it's like, it's like a butter cake, butter, butter gooey cake yeah. or something. Uh, I, I've been looking up all the, the various state foods of, uh, of Missouri. I know we're very close to the Kansas line and you're a little more familiar with Kansas, but uh, yeah, if anyone wants to grab a butter gooey cake. I think it's called. Yeah, whatever. Uh, let me know. I, I'd be happy. Or, you know, I, I hear the barbecue is is quite good here too. So I've, I've got plans uh, tonight and Wednesday, but otherwise my schedule is free. 
You know, what people probably don't know about you, James, is you are a huge foodie, huge, huge foodie. Yes. And so, you know, they should also send you uh, recommendations for Kansas City because um, you would really appreciate it, I know. Yes, please. Please do. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll check with you again tomorrow. I know that um, your notes and your quotes, um, you know, Brooklyn's writing that up in a story right now. So that'll be on, uh, that'll be live, but thanks for keeping us updated and I will talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.